Welcome back to the Bitcoin Layer. I'm Nick Batia, and today we have Mary Amaswen. She is a Bitcoin gamer and the host of two Bitcoin podcasts. One is called the Bitcoin Gamer Chat, and the other is called the Knobcast. Mary, thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you for having me on your show, Nick. Uh, of course. So Mary is visiting us today from Nigeria. We wanted to have her on to continue our theme of covering Bitcoin adoption in Africa and the potential of Bitcoin to really impact the continent in a positive way. So Mary, give us your background, please. You told us before we went on that you were not born in Nigeria, but that you've moved there um, recently. So tell us about your background and where you come from. Sure. Um, so I was born in Turkey, um, actually the capital of Turkey, which is Ankara. So I was born there, um, and my mom is Filipina, so she's from the Philippines, and my dad is Nigerian. Um, and I have a very, so I, I was um, given a very Western education, hence the accent. Um, I have, uh, I went through like very American training, and then Turkey at the time was trying to get into the European Union, so there's a lot of European exposure as well. And, um, you know, Turkey being also had some like kind of little bit of Middle Eastern, you know, background. So I picked that up as well. Went to Ameri to um, international schools, mixed a lot with um, people from different parts of the world. So in the Bitcoin space, some people joke and call me um, like an uh, international citizen <laughs> or a citizen of the world. Um, and then, well, as far as my background goes, I'm actually a lawyer by training. Um, but when I was studying law, I got into content marketing. So I have like about over a decade of content experience. Um, I currently work at Bitnob, uh, which is a Bitcoin only company. And I handle their content there. So I'm a content creative media associate there. I also, um, I'm part of the Thunder Games team. So Thunder Games is a Bitcoin gaming company. Um, they have really amazing Bitcoin games. So I'm part of the team. I'm also part of the Global Bitcoin Fest team. Um, Global Bitcoin Fest actually is an organization which um, highlights um, Bitcoin communities in different parts of the world. So um, we host Twitter spaces um, where we have people, guests from different parts of the world, talk about Bitcoin adoption in each part of the world. So it's really an amazing organization. Um, yeah, and then I'm into gaming as well. I decided to follow that niche um, in Bitcoin. Um, there's a lot of Bitcoin gaming related things happening in the space. And what I do is just try to create more awareness in that area, especially as a Bitcoin game creator, like, um, Game, Bitcoin gaming content creator. So I create Bitcoin gaming content as a Twitch streamer. So I stream every Monday live on Twitch to play Bitcoin games. It's kind of like a proof of concept that it's possible to be a Bitcoiner and a gamer at the same time. So everything on my Twitch is to prove that you can, from the donations to the games, you can make it all Bitcoin enabled. Um, so my I try to make my stream like an example for people who want to go into gaming and be a streamer as well. So yeah, that's a little bit of all I do. <laughs> Excellent. And tell us quickly about Bitnob. What kind of company and what does Bitnob do? So Bitnob, it, like I said, it's a Bitcoin only company, but what they're, they're um, positioning themselves as a um, company that ensures um, that African countries have access to payments. Um, so what happens is that, you know, in Africa, it's kind of difficult for people to send and receive payments, um, but Bitnob makes that possible for African countries, thereby they are opening Africa to the world. Um, through their strategic partnerships, they were able to enable people to, from the US, from the UK, to easily send, do, like, send remittances to African countries. Um, and African, Africans are able to easily receive um, payments from those countries and also from each other within Africa. Um, we also have, we just newly launched um, our virtual dollar cards. So now people can create virtual do dollar cards right from the app. And we also have other lifestyle, um, lifestyle, lifestyle um, 
features as well, like buying call credits, um, you know, paying for your utility bills and lots of that. So BitNob is kind of like a lifestyle platform if you look at it, but it's all based on ensuring like easy payments within Africa and also outside Africa. Talk to us about when you moved to Africa and then about Bitcoin adoption in Africa as it stands. And maybe I'll just ask you a few more and maybe you can group together your answers or address it how you see fit. So I want to talk about Bitcoin adoption in Africa, Bitcoin adoption in Nigeria, and then maybe you can bring in the currency stability or the lack of currency stability in Nigeria, as well as the rollout of the e-Naira, the central bank digital currency that is issued by the central bank of Nigeria. So take all of that and, and give us an <laughs> intro to, to Nigeria when you move there and what's going on in Nigeria right now with respect to Bitcoin and the, the currency at large. Sure. Um, so first of all, I just wanted to let anyone who's lis listening to know that in Africa, you have 54 different countries. Um, and with these d 54 different countries, you also have um, regional groupings. You have also tribes within each of these 54 different countries. And so that means you have hundreds and thousands of different tribes and dialects and backgrounds, um, meaning that Africa is a very diverse continent. So even if I say things from the perspective of Nigeria, it is very different from what other African countries are facing and how they're um, looking at Bitcoin and monetary policy and all that. But I'm going to try as much as I can to uh, move back and forth to just give more context. So I came to, I moved to Nigeria um, in my early teens. Um, that was like maybe sometime around 2006, 2008, around about that time. And I had, this is me, I, I the, my background, so my parents did, I wasn't raised African. Um, I was raised more Filipino. Um, my, my dad is not a traditional African man. In fact, his family, how they've, they tease him to say and call him the black white man. Cause he didn't never even, he didn't act like a average black person. <laughs> so that's according to what my dad said. So my mom and dad, they raised I and my sister based on the culture that they set themselves. Um, but I was brought up among a very strong Filipino community in, in Turkey. So I'm very familiar with the Asian culture. So coming to Africa was like me experiencing it. I was like, it was like a blank slate for me. So tabula rasa, this is me experiencing Africa and what it is to be African for the first time. Um, so when I came in, it was, first of all, like, huge major culture shock this is me like being very used to western culture and now we i see african culture african culture is very rich and it ties down to like really deep historical roots and that's important to take note of because when you are interacting with something like money it's always somehow attached to the traditions and the culture of the people residing in that particular country or region or area um, and as the, as I started living longer in Nigeria, like as each year went by, I started to have a deeper understanding of the people, how they think and how they interact with each other. And so, um, when I first arrived in Nigeria, the Naira to dollar rate was a hundred and fifty Naira to $1. And the CBN rate, which is the central bank, central bank of Nigeria rate and the parallel market rate were very close to each other. Maybe just maybe one or two Naira different. So if the central bank rate is 150, then the parallel market rate is about one, 152, you know, 151, just usually around that area. And I, it's gonna make sense, you know, later on in, when I answer the question. So um, years go by, different governments come in, and then here we are, we are experiencing inflation, we're experiencing um, this, like we're experiencing like leaders who don't understand, um, you know, monetary policy. We're seeing people who bring out one policy, financial policy contradicting the other. 
And so we're flash, you know, um, fast forward to the, today, the, the central bank rate in Nigeria is about 400 and something Naira to $1, that central bank of Nigeria rate. Parallel market rate is around 700 and maybe around 50, 750 something Naira to a dollar, meaning that there's about a 300 Naira difference between the central bank rate and the parallel market rate, which is very different from what I experienced when I first came to Nigeria. And more people are aware of the problems, the prices of things are just skyrocketing and a lot of these issues are coming up. Um, so as for Bitcoin in Nigeria specifically, so Nigerians have always been curious um, and you know that is their nature. They like to find out what it will help them make more money. And I think it's that curiosity that got them into, into Bitcoin. There are a lot of people in Nigeria who have um, interacted with Bitcoin for as early from as early as um, 2013 and maybe even earlier. Um, these are people who even owned more than one Bitcoin uh, as of that time. Um, back then, like we, you know, back then we they had to deal with like peer to peer. They were, you know, dealing with different exchanges, but then. As far as I remember, as far back as 2015, that was when I had my first set of Bitcoin. Um, they had, they had organized, Nigerians had organized themselves into chat groups where they would exchange Naira, which is a local currency in Nigeria for Bitcoin. And they would do this, it, people started having like, they, you would have what we call exchangers then. So these guys, their job is to exchange Naira to the, to Naira and Bitcoin, and they were making a profit from the premium or the fees or like their own mini charges for the service. So that was like creating job opportunities for some Nigerians. Um, some were trading the Bitcoin. So, you know, making money from short-term gains. Um, then some just held it for long-term um, investments. So, and that is the kind of um, perspective that a lot of Nigerians had or still have till date. Um, sadly, not many people are looking at Bitcoin from the point of view of Bitcoin as a currency you can exchange for goods and services. Um, it is coming up. I know there are some Nigerians that are being paid in Bitcoin. Um, some are open to receiving Bitcoin, but it's not too common. So if you come to Nigeria, it is very difficult for you to see a shop that is open to ex you know, giving you goods for the Bitcoin. But there are use cases in Nigeria where these big time importers and it's, you know, it's going to blow your mind when you hear this. But th there are these big time importers in Nigeria who pay their Chinese suppliers in Bitcoin because it is extremely difficult to get dollars. Right. And, you know, there's a lot of bureaucracy and all that that takes place and becomes really expensive to actually get the dollar. Um, you know, when you see the, when you compare the CBN rate and the par parallel market rate. So what they do is that they pay their Chinese suppliers in Bitcoin and the Chinese suppliers then supply them with goods. And then they sell these goods to the general populace. Um, so there are use that there is this case of people doing that right now. In fact, someone told me, and I, it is subject to like, um, to more further investigation, but someone told me that the large volumes of Bitcoin transaction that is recorded under Nigeria's name, a lot of it comes from those big time importers who are paying their suppliers in Bitcoin. Um, so that is currently what's happening right now. Then as for CBDC, so the Central Bank of Nigeria brought in the, C the CBDC. That was not so long after they did what we call the crypto ban. And I'm putting it in quotes because it, it, it wasn't an outright ban. It was just the central bank um, publishing a circular, a circular that said that every bank or other financial institutions should not or are prohibited from, um, from facilitating crypto related transactions. And unfortunately, <laughs> Bitcoin falls under that term crypto um, in Nigeria. So what happened, so what, 
prior to that um, circular, people were able to buy Bitcoin using their banks. So you could go, you could go to these um, platforms, these exchange platforms, and buy Bitcoin from your bank. You know, maybe even using your card directly and get Bitcoin into your Bitcoin wallet. But with that circular, um, what happened is that banks were no longer processing these transactions. But like I said, different African countries have their culture, their mindset. So in Nigeria, one thing about an average Nigerian is that we always find a way out. <laughs> we don't hear the word impossible. So when that circular came out and it looked like everyone was panicking, people were now like, okay, why not do P2P? So now every Bitcoin transaction or any crypto related transaction right now goes through P2P transactions, right? So um, in the mind of the bank, right? And this is just to illustrate, the banks are not aware that a crypto related transaction is being done. It will look like Mary wants to buy Bitcoin from Nick, but you and I, Nick, we agreed that in the back that, okay, I'm buying maybe a thousand dollars worth of Bitcoin from you. So when I send you money from my bank to your bank, I could write in the description to Nick and the, to the bank, Mary is just making an ordinary transaction to Nick. And so the bank has no idea that this a Bitcoin transaction is going on because we didn't declare it in the banking narration. So because we had a previous agreement that you're going to you know, send me Bitcoin in exchange for um, fiat, you will just, you know, take my Bitcoin address and send me the thousand dollars worth of Bitcoin that we agreed before the transaction. So that is how people have access to Bitcoin now. So every Bitcoin transaction, every like when people have access to Bitcoin is, is through P2P right now. Now, because the central bank um, decided to, you know, quote unquote, ban crypto related transaction, they sort of wanted a piece of the action. So since the people want crypto, let us give them crypto. So they, this, the e-Naira came about. Um, unfortunately or fortunately, uh, the e-Naira was put together in such a rush. There wasn't time. Um, in fact, the e-Naira wasn't even um, developed in Nigeria. It was a contract given to, um, given to um, a company in the Bahamas or somewhere. So like, it wasn't done well, um, it was rushed. So when it went live, um, there were a lot of issues, like people who did try it anyway, had experienced a lot of issues. Um, and so what the central bank did was to try and recruit in quotes, the banks as agents to get people on board to start using C um, the CBDC, which is called the E-Naira. Um, but so what banks did was to optimize their apps to enable or to be able to, to enable people or their their customers to easily you know create a CBDC wallet um, and engage in this in, in um, e naira transactions. But the reception for of e naira was extremely low. If you walk down the streets of Lagos and you tell people about e naira, they'll be like, "What is that?" I don't know about it, but if you ask people about Bitcoin, the likelihood of you hearing, you know, meeting someone who actually heard of Bitcoin and maybe even wants to know more about Bitcoin is way higher than someone even being curious about um, the e-Naira. So the e-Naira was a complete flop. Um, and one thing about, you know, um, one thing about money in general is that if money is not acceptable to the people, then it's useless. So if people aren't accepting the CBDCs or the e-Naira as a means of exchange, it's as good as not working, right? Um, so that is a huge problem. So now fast forward to today, a current time, um, Nigeria is, at the time of recording this, Nigeria is about a week away from the elections. Interestingly, we have been um, suffering from petrol scarcity. Um, and the central bank has been trying to like, have been in the process of renewing 
some of our banknotes. So they want to change the 1,000 Naira notes, the 500 Naira notes, and the 200 Naira notes, which are like the highest denominations in the Naira. The problem now is, is the central bank gave a deadline on when the old Naira notes will cease to be um, legal tender and the new Naira notes will come in. So people were trying to meet up to that deadline, right? Go to the banks, deposit their old Naira notes and get new ones. But interestingly, they'll go to the bank and not even have access to the new Naira notes or maybe have, new, maybe have access to some of it, but not enough. And so that created somewhat of a scarcity of money in Nigeria. And it got, and to make everything worse, the banking platforms, they have, they will start be, um, people started experiencing like a, a huge pressure in the banking platforms. So when you want to make a transfer to someone, it's it stopped going well, right? So sometimes there'll be delays. That just, you know, in, in human nature, right? That just creates even more panic in the minds of people. Um, so when people tried to get, go to ATMs to withdraw cash, they were getting old narrow notes or not getting any notes. Um, you would now see long queues at the ATMs, um, like a huge crowd in front of banks. There are even reports of some of these banks not even opening. Um, there are also videos going around on social media of people fighting, um, fighting with bank work workers, you know, doing everything they can to be heard, trying as much as possible to meet the deadline. Um, then also, you know, banks can't be everywhere in the whole of Nigeria. Nigeria is a very big country. We're made of 36 states. Uh, I live in Lagos, Nigeria, which is a commercial capital. Now, um, you can't have a bank stationed everywhere. And so there, there's something we call a POS service. So um, there are some vendors with POS machines. So instead of going to the bank, you can withdraw at these vendors' um, spots. And these vendors, because of the scarcity of money, started increasing their charges for the um, withdrawal of money from their their shop or their establishments. Meaning that what in, in um, before it was like maybe for every 1,000 Naira transaction, you'd pay probably 100 Naira. That went from, I, there are reports of people who have paid 3,000 Naira for a 20,000 Naira withdrawal. That Then there are also reports of people paying 10,000 Naira for a 50,000 Naira withdrawal. There are even some POS um, operators who say, I cannot give you more than 5,000 Naira. Uh, at a time. So, and the reason for that is because they want to conserve their cash and serve as many people as possible. Um, that put in further pressure. Then I mentioned earlier that there was, we were also, we're currently still facing um, a fuel, fuel scarcity. So we have intermittent power supplies. So our power isn't very stable. Um, like right now, I don't know if you can hear it. The sound in the background are all sounds of generators from almost every house. Um, and these generators run on petrol. And in order to get petrol, the, these petrol stations or gas stations, they used to al allow people to pay with their debit cards. But when the cash crunch came in and the banking system wasn't as efficient, these gas stations said, we don't wanna accept payment with your debit cards anymore, pay us in cash because we don't want to have to deal with maybe a payment not going through and all that. So cash is scarce. Your the gas station don't want to don't want to sell you um, petrol unless you you pay in cash. Um, people are paying using using like paying money for money, um, and a lot of these crazy things. There's pressure in the banks, pressure in the banking system, and absolute chaos. Um, so. That explains all the videos that are going around. Um, I know that maybe some people have seen videos of people stripping in banking halls. So um, that just to give a, some context. So when someone wants to fight somebody here, <laughs> they usually take their shirt off to show that they're serious. <laughs> so like, you want to go down? Let's do it, bro. Like, that's just a way to show that they're, you know, they're really serious. They're not playing here. So they strip because of that, just to get the attention of, bank workers so that they could be heard right um 
And so the central bank, you might say, okay, what is the central bank doing in all this? They have been telling the banks to issue the new notes because they, they claim that we have sent new banknotes to all the banks, banks in abundance already. They should issue the notes. Um, and there have been reports that you would go, the, the, these bankers would put the notes, the new notes in maybe cellophane bags in the vending, in the ATM machines at the back. So, you know, when it's something is in a bag, like it, it's, it, the, the machine can't count the money. So it looks like it wants to withdraw, but it can't withdraw because in the, in the back, like all the money is in the bag. So there, there are stories about that. Um, still yet to be verified though, but there's stories like that. There's store, some people are even saying that because we're getting closer to elections, these banks are working with some politicians and hoarding this money for election purposes so that when election comes in, these politicians can like spread cash around and, you know, try to buy votes, buy favors. And the, these banks are acting as mercenaries. Um, so there's a lot of crazy news happening, which further um, increases the pressure. Um, and that is what's happening currently now in, in Nigeria. And um, it's been crazy. So as a result of all of this, when you add all this to together, you can tell immediately that because of the intense pressure, there is now an increase in prices of everything, most especially transportation, um, because you need petrol. Petrol is scarce. People are queuing at really early in the morning to at just get a spot. Um, so and then a lot of people commute like I come from a commercial capital, like a lot of people commute here. Uh, I know that when I used to, so I'm working from home now, but when I used to commute, like about two, three years ago before COVID, I would stay probably three hours on the road, depending on the um, level of traffic to commute from my house to my workplace and back. Um, so like people in Lagos are heavy commuters. So you can imagine the price hike and for transportation. And if you don't go to work, you can't get paid. So there's a lot of dilemma um, happening right now. Um, so I wrote a thread on Twitter just talking about this and say and proposing that more people look into, you know, using Bitcoin as an alternative. But like the problem now is getting people to see Bitcoin as a means of exchange. They see it as a speculative instrument trade it, get short-term gains, take your money and leave. They see it as a long-term investment. Um, they see it as, and for big importers, they see it as a way to ensure that they get their goods in Nigeria. But for the small time person, right? The person in small shops, kiosks, people hawking bread, like they don't see Bitcoin as a means of exchange. So that is a major problem. And I believe that if we can change the mindset of Nigerians to see, see Bitcoin as an alternative, as a way of, um, you know, exchanging goods for money, then that would help reduce the pressure a bit. But a lot of people's perception of Bitcoin is that Bitcoin would only work if it runs on the Internet. Um, but we have, you know, innovations like Machankara now that gives you the opportunity to use USSD or SMS service to send and receive Bitcoin easily. So that is a problem, you know, like getting people to think in that line. And Nigeria is a um, cash-based society. And one thing about being a cash-based society is if you do not have the cash in your account or wallet somewhere, it's seen as if you don't have it, right? Unlike the West where, you know, the they can still operate with debt, right? Like you can buy something and then pay it instrumentally over 20 years, 40 years. We don't have that system in, in Nigeria. And I don't think many African countries have that either because, you know, registration, like um, identity, all these things are still issues um, in Africa as a whole. In the West, they've sort of perfected their um, identity system. So like if you pack your bags and go to another um, part of the States, they will find you. But in Nigeria, if you pack your bags and move to another state, the, the likelihood of them finding you is actually very slim because we don't have that, you know, very polished system um, in existence. So like the, the debt system doesn't really work here. So it has to be cash only. 
Um, but one thing about Nigeria is that Nigeria hasn't adopted the use of mobile wallets um, like the way Kenya and Ghana have. So Kenya, you have M-Pesa. So if you have an M-Pesa account, even if you don't have the cash physically, but you have it stored in your wallet, you can still make transactions. You can go to any shop, even to like the smallest kiosk. Someone is willing to like receive your money via M-Pesa and or give you money via M-Pesa. But here, the market women will not use mobile money. It has to be cash. Um, they will not even give you an um, their bank their bank details because not many of the market women have banks. Um, so like that's a, another issue that's going on in Nigeria. So it's like a mindset thing. They've not it's not part of the Nigerian culture or framework to um, use mobile money. So if mobile money was something that was really prevalent in Nigeria, maybe using Bitcoin as a means of exchange would be a lot easier to fathom. But now they can't even think of it. Like, how is that even possible? Um, so I got a lot of backlash from my tweets from Nigerians, and I understand why. Um, it's because I'm in the space. That's why I, I know about platforms like Machankara that makes it easy for the common man, for someone in the village to easily have access to Bitcoin, meaning that we educators in Nigeria need to do a lot of work um, to get people on board. But it's so much more than that now. Like the whole society has to be onboarded somehow to get used to at least the wallet system. Um, so that could be, that might be a little bit of a hurdle for Nigeria as a country. But I know that in other African countries, the possibility of them accepting Bitcoin for transactions, like regular transactions to buy food, buy anything, is a lot easier because they're already used to the wallet system. So it's not strange for them to, you know, bring out, ask for their mobile money wallet or ask for a number or, or some payment details and do the transaction on the spot. When I went to Ghana for the Africa Bitcoin conference, the difference was so clear. I remember I was with my friends and we went out. They wanted to buy hard-boiled egg. So they hawk eggs <laughs> in Africa. So they wanted to buy hard-boiled eggs. And this woman was like hawking it on her head. And when they said, do you accept mobile money payment? And she was like, yeah. Instantly, they were able to make the transaction. We did not touch cash, um, which was fascinating to me. Such a thing like that cannot happen in, or hasn't yet happened in Nigeria. And it's going to take a lot of um, this behavioral shift before that happens to Nigeria. Yes, according to data, we do, we have large volumes of Bitcoin transactions happening in Nigeria. That for sure. The data is correct, right? But not in the area of, you know, buying things from people. I, from what someone told me, the large volume actually comes from these big time importers that import in large volumes and pay, uh, make payment to their suppliers. So yeah, I hope I was able to touch everything. <laughs> that, that was a great overview of what's going on in Nigeria with regard to Bitcoin adoption, the challenges, some of the hope and the government considerations. What if you uh, would indulge us? Which industries are those buyers of Chinese goods um, that are using Bitcoin for those transactions? Are there any specific industries that you can share with us or sectors of the economy? Um, that's a good question. So from my understanding, a lot of these people come from or rather are in the tech devices segments so like they buy all these tech devices um things like, like maybe cables um maybe maybe even some industrial goods i'm guessing as well um but i'm see hearing more of that from like tech devices so cables um phone accessories phones um so all those like those devices so um in in lagos specifically we have like two very popular areas we have one area called computer village where there's a lot of like high volume of um transactions going on with like you know where people buy phones all these printers laptops computers like that happens on large vol in large volumes then there's another place called alaba international market 
um, which is more or less the same thing as Computer Village, but I think they're I think they do higher volumes um, in trade than Computer Village, if I'm not mistaken. But from what I know, because um, my dad is basically in the tech sector, so I only get to hear from that angle. Um, but I believe there might be also industrial goods in there. So maybe pipes, um, you know, roofing sheets and all that. Maybe those are also might also be involved. But for tech devices, yeah, that for sure. And when you say the transactions that are coming out of Africa, what you mean is that when we look at blockchain data and we track IP addresses, that's is that what you mean, that we're able to see which or uh, tr look at the blockchain and understand that these certain transactions are originating from Africa. And you're saying that those are the ones that are being done by these importers? Yes, more or less. So, okay. um, and, you know, when you look at, and also when you look at like behavior, really, because no, you, you wouldn't hear a lot of Nigerians say that they were able to buy a shirt from this store. It's very, it's very rare. Um, I know that there are some that exist, like there is a store not too far away from where I live, um, where people could buy like, um, food. Um, but the owner has to be there in order for you to pay with Bitcoin. Um, when the owner is not there, like the, his workers will not accept Bitcoin from you. Um, and it's also in the DL, like not many people are talking about it because the whole crypto ban thing is also not quite clear. They don't want right. to be targeted either by the government. Uh, not that anything gray... has happened before. Yeah. Right. Still in the gray market area. And your story about the the note change does remind me of what happened in India a handful of years ago with a demonetization effort. And you know what came out of the demonetization effort was a behavioral shift, which is what you're describing might need to happen in Nigeria because of some of the dependence on cash and the behavioral impulse to use cash only that type of dynamic dynamic has shifted in india post demonetization where this company called paytm came out and it really standardized the use of qr codes and electronic payment and mobile payments so perhaps some of this note change or perhaps the e-naira itself the challenges with getting cash the cash scarcity issues in nigeria the petrol exchange for cash only dynamic exacerbating the scarcity. Maybe some of those things uh, influence people to be more open to e-money. And then you have to take the next step to get them into Bitcoin, but to get them into mobile wallets might be something that comes out of this. Uh, I just wanted to throw that out there. Then talk to us about the black market exchange rate difference you mentioned that the official cbn rate is in the 400s and the black market rate is in the 700s now i know that that type of difference that 40 percent discount that shows up in the bitcoin price when purchasing in naira because people are valuing the dollar naira bitcoin triangle at the US, I mean, I'm sorry, at the black market rate, not at the official rate. So is there anything else that you can share with us about that dynamic? Well, um, and it's easy, actually, not many people have access to the central bank rate, um, or dollars from, you know, in the central bank rate, not many people have access to that. But if you want to go and change your dollars, like your dollar in cash, to um, Naira, it's really easy to find someone who can exchange it for you. Just go to any popular market and look for um, these Bureau de Change people. And they usually, they, usually stand, they usually stand on the road and they say dollar, euro, pounds. And you just go and meet them and be like, hey, I want to you know, exchange my dollars for Naira. So it's really easy to, for them to find someone to exchange it. Um, to go to walk into a bank and say, Hey, I want dollars. It's kind of hard, right? Like it's not as accessible to the people. So it only makes sense to like, not only makes sense to Nigerians to convert 
the dollar value into like the black market rate because that's what's easily accessible. Um, and in the long term, it's actually quite um, profitable for the average Nigerian. So imagine a Nigerian receiving payment in, um, in dollar and he goes out and ch exchanges that dollar in the black market, he's making over 300 um, Naira more than what uh, he would have gotten if it came directly from the bank. So maybe, so like in instances of remittances, for example, if you are in the, U you, you have found, you're in the US and you have family in Nigeria, for example, you send dollars to your family using um, a remittance service. Um, what happens is that because the remittance service comes to the bank, you are getting that dollar in the central bank rate, um, meaning that you are actually com in comparison to what's available in the black market, which is dollars readily available, you are at a loss. Plus you get charged for fees, transaction costs. You have to also leave your house to go to the bank and maybe your house is not too close to the bank, meaning you have to enter public transport to get there. Then you wait. Um, and with the craziness that's happening, you're probably going to wait for three, four, five hours if that's if they do not give preferential treatment for those who want to specifically go to the Western Union booth in the bank. Um, so there's a lot of hazards that come along with it. And but like, what, for example, yeah, please go ahead, go ahead. I just wanted to ask, because on the street, you say that Nigeria is a cash system. It's a cash culture everyone relies on cash. What is the culture when it comes to paper dollars? And maybe even you could talk about paper euros. Are these instruments that people use, used on a daily basis, only a certain socioeconomic class that uses them? How popular are physical US dollar notes and Euro notes in Nigeria on the ground? Good question. So, um, it's not popular. You can come in okay. here with your dollars. Nobody's going to take that dollar from you. Nobody. They wouldn't even know how to change it or denominate their goods in dollar in order for you to get the true value of the dollar that you bring. So you will be forced to go and meet the Bureau de Change people to get Naira and then spend your Naira because no one will take the dollars from you, which I found very interesting because where I come from in Turkey, you could go out and say, okay, I want to pay in dollar and they take the dollar from you, calculate the, the Turkish lira value and give you the goods based on that. I know my dad used to do that a lot, right? So it was very normal to me growing up. But here, nobody's going to take your dollar or euro unless it's turned into naira. But do people, so I understand that you can't spend it places, but do people keep dollars in their house, in their vaults, in their uh, safe deposit box at bank as a store of value so that because the Naira is depreciating so much, they maintain some of that purchasing power in dollars? Or is that not a popular savings technique in Af in Nigeria? So they do not keep cash, the dollar cash in cash um, often. Like that's not okay. too popular, maybe among the elite, but um, the normal middle class they have savings in USD that is provided by a uh, fintech company. So there are a bunch of fintech companies that offer USD savings. So a lot of middle class, working class people, even maybe some students too, those who are like financially aware, they save um, the dollars in those fintechs. Got so it. it's so all they, digital. They don't have mm -hmm. access to the cash. So the, the savings in the dollar denomination is popular, but not in the physical form. Got it. Yes. Um, that's great. Mary, my last question before we let you go, and this has been extremely educational to give us a sense of what's going on in Nigeria. You mentioned that there are 50 plus countries in Africa and how different the cultures are. It's not just 50 countries, but it's tribes and hundreds or thousands of dialects. What potential does Bitcoin have from a pan-African standpoint to really bridge some of the barrier between peoples, countries, tribes? Do you have a grand hope and vision for Bitcoin 
on, on the pan-African level, or is that maybe a little overly optimistic and let's more focus on one problem at a time? And then maybe you can address the this idea. You mentioned a little bit about it, but that Nigeria is an entrepreneurial spirited country and that I've, I've come to learn that Nigeria is a cultural leader of Africa so that many African nations are looking to Nigeria for leadership, especially when it comes to things like maybe technology and music, culture, art, and that kind of thing. So bring it, wrap it all together and, and, and now talk about the continent and what potential the, the energy in Nigeria around Bitcoin has to spread elsewhere. And I know that there's great energy coming from Kenya, South Africa, Ghana, other nations out there? Um, so that's a really great question. So if you look at the history over the years, um, Africa as a continent and also like the subgroup, sub regions have tried as much as possible to ensure that there is inter-Africa trade. Um, but because a lot of the African countries don't share the same currency, trade within these African countries is really difficult. So, for example, where I live in Lagos um, is like you can go over the border and meet another African country, which is Benin Republic. Benin Republic uses the CFA, which is very different from Naira. So to trade with that uh, neighboring African country is difficult because we have to exchange our currencies and all that. Um, governments in Africa have tried their best to promote more trade within Africa as a way to be more um, self-sufficient as a continent. Um, but the major hurdle that they've been facing is the, our monetary policies. Um, and I believe that if governments could join together and look at Bitcoin as a viable option, I believe that trade will be a lot, like there'll be an increase in trade There'll be more people will be able to at least sell, like they'll be able to open their um, their businesses to other African countries instead of restricting themselves within the four walls of their countries. So I think these um, governments haven't looked at Bitcoin as the solution that they've been looking for for years. Um, they've tried different ways, but Bitcoin is definitely the solution. And we Bitcoiners in Africa know this. Um, then there's also a lot of, politics behind it too. Like for example, the African countries that use the CFA, it is in the interest of their former colonial masters that they do not accept a unified um, form of money because that means you're cutting off France. You're, that means 80% of what they receive from those their, their co former colonies will be cut off, meaning the former colonies will have access to 100% of their natural resources. So there's a lot of politics at play too. Former colonial masters do not want us to unify our money. Um, and because there's a lot of politics at play, it's blinding a lot of people from seeing that seeing Bitcoin or as a viable option. Um, I do believe though, with more you know education, activism in this area, we will slowly get to a point um, it might take a long time because it's going to take a while to get people of different countries and cultures on board to agree on something. Um, so that might be a hurdle. But I think if we can start small, right? So if we start with a small um, region and then spread gradually, I think with time, people start to see that Bitcoin is the best option. Um, the Central African Republic made Bitcoin legal tender maybe we need to somehow create more awareness for that country to see the immense possible immense potential they have in their hands um because i feel like they're not optimizing it as much as they should uh, i know that because naib bukele is a bitcoiner it was a lot easier well not easy in that sense but it was easy to get more people on board um but when your leader is not as knowledgeable about Bitcoin, it might be difficult to, for people to actually see Africa, Central African Republic as a beacon or a model that other African countries can follow. Um, so there are a lot of areas that need to be looked into, but I think gradually, you know, surely and steadily, um, we might be, we might 
get to a point where we'd have at least a good number of African countries agreeing and using Bitcoin. And even somebody that is a hardcore Bitcoin activist like Bukele, you still don't see the vast majority of people in El Salvador taking up Bitcoin because of a lot of these behavioral barriers and just tradition. People don't understand the new form of money. Um, Mary Imaswan, thank you so much for joining us today. The, the ideas around Bitcoin adoption are different in every corner of the world, but there are people that can benefit from the technology and the technological breakthrough of Bitcoin, the lack of counterparty, the lack of central issuer. And each person, each culture, each country has their own way to interact with Bitcoin. And one thing that we have identified at the Bitcoin layer is that the continent of Africa is probably the best use case for Bitcoin in the world amongst the other continents. And so we are going to continue focusing on the adoption trends in Africa, Nigeria, Kenya, and, and elsewhere, and continue to cover that as we feel that the education and adoption in Africa can lead the rest of the world to understand why Bitcoin matters. So thank you for sharing your knowledge today. We really appreciate your time and please give our audience where they can find you online. Thank you so much for having me on your show, Nick. Um, it was so much fun and I, I'm really grateful I had the opportunity to share um, what's happening in my country. So um, very active on Twitter. So you can find me on Twitter. My handle is at Mary underscore Imaswen. That's M-A-R-Y underscore I-M-A-S-U-E-N. Great. Thank you, Mary, for joining us at the Bitcoin Layer. The Bitcoin Layer is a Bitcoin research provider covering Bitcoin through the global macroeconomic lens. Don't forget to subscribe to our channel and subscribe to our email newsletter at thebitcoinlayer.substack.com. See you next time.